0: What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business?
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina. I am the woman of color in the group.
0: And I'm Mike. I'm uh, the blind guy.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Choose Inclusion. I am Yubi and I'm here uh, today with Mike. Uh, Nina, our third co-host, is not able to join us today. Um, But how are you, Mike?
0: Doing fantastic, Ubaldo. Super excited for our uh, very, a uh, Very accomplished uh, inclusion guest today, so uh, uh, excited to talk to everybody.
1: Totally agree, yes. And, and on that note, uh, I'd love to introduce everybody to Monica Diaz, uh, who is an author who wrote From Intent to Impact, The Five Dualities of Diversity and Inclusion. Um, she is also a DEI leader at Royal Caribbean Group. And today we just wanted to connect with you, Monica, because there's just some some great, uh, great conversation from your experience that that we want to bring to our audience. So welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure being with you uh, here today. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. Now we're excited. Um, we're, We're we're happy that you're settled in. So Monica just moved from Chicago to to Florida. And so she's getting to enjoy that beautiful weather while we're freezing here in Colorado, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's jump in because I, you know, one of the really great conversations that, that we've had previously in preparation for the show is around joys and scars, right? The joys and scars of doing this work. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you ended up writing the book and, and doing kind of going out on your own and doing this work?
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, thank thank you again. Uh, It's it's always interesting to speak about what makes us feel happy about the work we do every day. And we encourage our our colleagues, our children to work on on an area that you are passionate about. Um, And that absolutely is what I think describes the joys that you just referenced in working on diversity and inclusion. It's it's joyful, uh, and I have experienced the joy of working uh, on diversity and inclusion as part of my day job, because it brings me the opportunity to learn about people constantly, about things that I never thought before that I would need to learn or would have the opportunity to learn. How are we? How are we similar? How are we different? What makes people? Uh, come up with the decisions that they make based on their experiences, their backgrounds, their family environments, their upbringing. And that is joyful for anybody who, who, uh, who likes to convert to enjoy, in, enjoy and engage in conversations. This is what makes this work so exciting. Every single day is the massive amount of learning that you can have, uh, just by interacting with each other. So I, I, I would put that on the joys, uh, category of this work. But it also comes with with some scars. Uh, I I typically joke about, hey, i work on this space for quite a while and I do have the scars to prove it. That means that it is not necessarily easy, right? If we, uh, when we speak with people, when we interact with people, we know that that can create conflict in many occasions. That can create tremendous differences of opinions, of perspectives and uh, and strong values associated to them based on everybody's uh, own perspective. It is not easy to drive uh, changes and evolution in cultures, company cultures, which is the environment that I have worked on, to try to create uh, spaces where people listen more to each other. So people hold their opinions a little bit more softly, a little bit more gently. So they have the opportunity to uh, listen and learn as much as they have opinions and uh, they express their perspectives. Um, So there are scars when we uh, find that our perspective is not listened to or when we're trying to drive change and maybe there's not necessarily the opportunity to to create it as fast as we want to. There's a great need for this work. Right, uh, we see a tremendous uh, polarization in the work environment, in the society, in the world. And, and that creates those times when we might think that we're taking three steps ahead and trying to engage with people who think differently and, and, and create more inclusive work environments. But sometimes we feel that we're taking two or three steps back. Uh, it requires a lot of resilience. Uh, not always we, we don't get things like uh, like the way we think they should go all the time. And that is the opportunity that we have to uh, use those scars to to really create that resilience. It's like we have to develop a little bit of a thick skin in order to to make sure that we continue moving forward on this space.
0: I uh, I, I love listening um do uh, you talk about this because it really does come with, uh, you know, quite a bit of experience with some really notable brands that you've worked with um, throughout your career, Monica? And I, I, uh, and your and your book is kind of based on this journey of yours within this mm-hmm. space. And i I'd, I'd love for you to talk about. Uh, you know maybe some um, early you know early additions you know again when we're talking about from joys to scars like you you know we we've we've figured out through experience you know what what what's worked what what hasn't worked so well and then how do you iterate upon that to maybe um, get it to work? Uh, again, maybe better in another with another opportunity. Can you give some examples of of that journey I- exactly? Of you know, how do you get you know some tactical, technical ways um, uh, for teams to improve uh, with their initiatives? Can Can you give us some of those um, those tidbits?
2: Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you when you uh, speak, uh, Mike, about early experiences, I would say some of the stories that I hear in the book are illustrative of those early experiences, right? Um, one one that is pertinent to me, that it, it, it's personal, if you may, and I, and I tell the story in the book, is early on when I moved from my, my native Puerto Rico to uh, to take a job in corporate America, it was one of my first corporate relocations. Uh, you know, I'm I came, I knew my job, I knew the group that I would work with. Uh, I had worked with the company before and I thought, okay, there's no problem. Um, I'm bilingual. I, I know what I need to do. What I completely underestimated was how I would be perceived, uh, how others would see me as different when I did not see myself as different from them. And that was an early experience that related to a lot of things about me. It related to my accent uh, when I didn't really realize that I had an accent. Um, It related to the way I, the colors I wear for the office. It related to the energy I put when I speak um, and the movement of my hands. And I typically speak about those that uh, were, became distractions for the message that I wanted to convey when I was in a meeting. They were never distractions before when I was in groups that were more similar to me. Um, So those were some of the early learnings on how to adapt. How much do I want it to adapt to really fit into my work environment versus how much I wanted to disrupt to transform my work environment? Because what I started learning and observing along the way is that this was not only happening to me. This was happening to people who came from other parts of the world. This was happening to people who may not necessarily be the loudest voices in a room. Uh, I was coming from a sales organization and a sales organization has a little bit of a flair of people who are uh, very extroverted, who speak loudly, uh, who can speak all at the same time. That was not the experience of people who are more introverted. So again, this was happening to many people for different things, cultural reasons, personality reasons, style reasons. And those were some of the early examples that I captured about how challenging it could become to be a minority, and I'm not only talking demographically, minority amongst a majority of people in which you don't necessarily feel that you have a chance to express your perspective or show your value, show your worth. So, um, at first, I thought that this was something that was happening only in my department, or maybe we all think that this is only happening to me until we realized that, through the experience of the years and the different companies and industries that i that i that I work with, that it is very common that it happens to people in in almost every country. And it is not a situation that is uh, only dependent on joining the right company or joining the right team, this is human behavior. So, uh, so the common denominator that I found in working in diversity and inclusion is that we all have the opportunity to learn more from each other and to be open to the perspectives of each other. Um, there are businesses that do better than others or organizations that do better than others on that. So there's an opportunity to improve and learn from each other. But what I've what I also have learned and hold dear to my heart in terms of how do you create that change and evolution to be more open to human differences and inclusive of others is that people don't get convinced to do this just because a corporation or an organization mandates it. Uh, people get convinced to change for their own reasons, not any other people's reasons. One of the common practices that I that I have you know, uh, experience and I wrote about it in my book as well. It's like, we typically talk about what is the business case to work on diversity and inclusion. And that is important. That is tremendously important to show the value of why we talk about these things in the work environment. But that logic does not necessarily convince everybody, right? Some people get to, them be- to this work and-, and commit to this work because for them it's more personal. It is their life experience. For some others is because they really want to uh, dwell into the curiosity. They're curious about certain things and they want to understand them better. Uh, so their motivation to uh, be inclined to talk about this topic or engage in in, in practices that are more diverse and inclusive are going to be very different for different people. And and a message about why we do this is not the same for everybody. So um when we explain or try to engage people to take action and uh, in, in this area, we, we, need to, we need to know and it's better to understand where they're coming from, what would really motivate them to do so.
1: Wow, that, yeah, that's, that's a great point, you know, because I think uh, a, a lot of people, um, you know, we, we hear of a lot of people who sort of get asked or told to do this work within corporations because of who they are. Um, and, but, but I, you know, I, I, we, I guess we don't really hone in on that, the intentions of that, that person, you know, I think um, you talk about ethnic labels and things like that, right? Like some people are because of who they are and because of their background are asked to do this work within their company um, but but there's uh, you know there there might not be a discussion as to well does that you know why does what are the intentions of that person right did they actually want to do this work i think that's Mm -hmm. a fascinating part of the conversation i hadn't thought about um within this because we talk a lot about the, the leadership of an organization and are they all on the same page as to why they think diversity and inclusion are important for their company um but but yeah this 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 uh, discussion of intention at that level of those people actually doing the work is uh, really fascinating.
2: Well, and you know, part of what, what I, I find uh, also, uh, UB, is the fact that when we think about this space uh, as, as practitioners, as people who work on this area, um, there are a lot of people who work, beca- work on, on, on this area because they're passionate, to your point, right? But there is understanding how to move an organization, how do we evolve, uh, help people evolve their mindset. That requires certain level of of practice and skill, as, were, as, as, as well. And in the in this time in which we're, you know, like uh, diversity and inclusion has also become once again prominent, once again. Uh, very much the the talk and the high commodity that organizations want to have, um, that has been cyclical. That has been cyclical. It's not like that all the time, and we know there's different uh, organizational, social, um, and even political forces that drive why all of a sudden we're talking more about DNI than than before. Um, so there there is an opportunity to really move the needle and start evolving on this space based on the passion that we bring but also the skill that is needed and the risk that we take is that we we think sometimes that the passion is enough to drive the function uh, so there's many so that drives too many attempts to to create change but that doesn't get fruition that doesn't get to the outcomes that organizations want to have and there's a lot of frustration when say like, okay we brought people we did this uh, we brought the RGs, we want people to give us their perspective, and then really not much happened. Well, of course, because if we're treating it as an initiative, as something that is just the flavor of the month or the flavor of the year, they're not. we're not really committing to the organizational change and the business outcomes that we all seek to have. So it does require that level of commitment and also uh, competency and skill. Passion is absolutely necessary, but I think... I typically say, is the ticket for entry. You start with your passion, but you have to have the skill set and how to do this work so it can really, you can really reap the benefits of what a more diverse and inclusive workplace can bring.
1: I love that. I love
0: that. I do. Uh, I do too. I, I, that is absolutely, that, that would be considered a mug drop right there, Monica. I love that. I <laughs> um, agree. I love that. So, but I'm, I'm uh, so your book is filled with um, your storyteller. Um, and your I mean you you speak of diversity, equity, inclusion from a lens of storytelling. And I, if you were to pick, you know, a story, one of your favorite stories that just kind of stick with you. And again, you got a book full of them, but what's one of your favorite stories that you can share with our audience today?
2: Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, to choose a favorite. Um I would say there's one that is quite memorable to me uh, because it was a little bit of taking a risk in an environment that I was not familiar with. And it's the story about the African head wrap. Um, There's a lot of uh, conversation, particularly after the death of George Floyd, about how do we uh, counter racial injustice? How do we, uh, you know, like take some action? Uh, some people have taken a stand uh, on on just being curious about this topic or talking about this topic when maybe they didn't do so before. But uh, but the the story that I relayed about the African head wrap was about the activation of that curiosity in the work environment. And I tell the story about going to, uh, so I was new in a company that I was working at, and I was meeting with some members of the you know, diverse communities, uh, including leaders of our employee resource groups, and I took a trip to one of our facilities. I met with the leaders of all uh, the employee resource groups there, including the leaders of the African-American uh, ERG. And one of those leaders was a young uh, woman, and uh, I think she was working in finance, that was wearing a beautiful and bright-colored bright uh, uh, African head wrap. And, you know, she went into the meeting. We were all sitting there, and uh, we doing we doing some introductions. Uh, and, you know, I felt compelled to ask her. I had met her via email before, but this was the first time that I was seeing her in person. And uh, after she introduced herself in the typical way, uh, you know, like your name, you know, like your department, how long have you been in the company? And we established some casual conversation. I, I had to ask her, well, I, I, and I told her, i had been admiring uh, your beautiful head wrap. And it was, it was, I was honest. I was like, it was beautiful. It was bright and help. I, I wonder if, if, if you could help me understand what it means, uh, what significance it has for you. And uh, after I just said that last word, I just felt like, okay, uh, it was silence. I felt that maybe a pin had dropped uh, and it was one of those tense moments, uh, seconds in which you say, did I say something that is gonna you know, create a, a situation here? Because I was in the deep South of the United States in a very conservative community. And uh, clearly there were not too many people who looked like the lady who was uh, in front of me, much less that were worrying uh, the, 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 the African head um, But she smiled at that and, and everybody you could see, the rest of the people were a bit stunned, uh, but she smiled. And she said, well, I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, sometimes I think it becomes invisible. Um, that but for me this 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 headscarf uh, is a crown I don't wear it all the time but when I do it reminds me that I am the daughter of the king of heavens and because of that I need to wear this crown high and proud for the generations that come after me Um, and it reminds me the space that I have in this in this world and, and how much I would still need to uh, do to carry this crown forward to honor the ones who have come before me. And I was shocked. I was, I was joyful. I, I was glad I had to thank her. Um, and after the meeting, you know, again, uh, I wanted to understand the impact of, of the question that I asked and she said, I appreciate that you asked that question, thank you. Sometimes I think that when people don't ask, I wonder if it's just because I, it's invisible to them or if they're just fearful to ask what it means to me. Uh, and some people acknowledge that they didn't know how to ask about it. They were curious too, but they didn't know how to ask about it. So again, those are some of the, the experience and the stories that really tell about tell us about when you start with genuine curiosity, add respect to it, not judgment yeah. and, and seek to understand something. We can open a whole great area of opportunity to learn about each other uh, on a deeper level uh, from a deeper meaning of who we are and what we value.
1: Yeah, one simple question is all it takes and, and to open up to your point, like a whole new world of understanding. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, I think that's fascinating. Um, well, thank you for sharing okay. that. And I, I think to, you know, for the last couple minutes, minutes, what I'd love to talk about it from the book are, you know, the dualities of diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion, kind of at a high level, right? I want, you know, we want people to walk away with something tactical to think about. Sure. Um, and so, so what are the dualities? And then, I, you know, the last thing I wanted to talk about, too, were that, that concept of team speeders that you mm-hmm. talk about as it relates to one of the projects you from the book.
2: Sure, absolutely. So uh, the dualities uh, are something that just uh, be- became uh, a model, if you may, after I started summarizing the notes of the aha moments that I have been uh, collecting uh, over at least eight years. So it's not that all of a sudden I started thinking, oh, this is something that sounds nice and sassy. It was just just a creation coming out of experiences. And what I gathered is that uh, from my experience working on this area, there are at least five things that sound and look like they are opposites, but they really are not. And uh, in the work of diversity and inclusion, the first duality that that I, that I articulated was the uh, duality of connecting and learning. Uh, we connect with people based on our similarities, right? Uh, and okay, so where are you from? What school you went to? What is your favorite team? That's the way we establish connections in a very natural and organic way. And that is, that makes us feel good. So it gives us something that uh, you know, like feeds our identity and our joy of, 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 uh, of finding similarities with somebody else. And that is important. And that is healthy. That is what ERGs do in companies. They try to connect people based on their similarities. Uh, so, so they create greater engagement. So there is a space for it. But there's also the duality about, okay, so if we can't, can we just connect on our similarities? Isn't that more valuable than connecting with our differences? And the reality is, if we stay in the space of similarities, there's a lot that we just don't open ourselves to, right? So if we just kind of say, hey, I'm Catholic and I only mingle with Catholics and I never venture to understand what a different religion uh, values or practices, then I'm missing a whole world of information about people who are not like me, who can help me understand better where they come from. So there's great value in learning from our differences as well. Actually, we learn more from our differences than from our similarities. So that is the first duality because it has not been once or twice only. It has been plenty of times in which there's a discussion in organizations about why do we need to focus on our differences? Can we just connect on our similarities? So so that's what that duality intends to uh, address. And that's why I thought it was important to start with that one. In the book, so that's that's duality number one. The second one is is think and know, and and I I, I wrote about it because in many instances people uh, were asking in organizations how should we do this? Um, why would we uh, address this? You know, like situation with conflict on uh, between this team member these team members in such and such way. And many people were very quick to jump to the conversation to say, oh, we need to do it because this is the situation. I know these people, I, I, I've, I've worked with them before and, and I think this is what's causing that conflict there. Hmm. And many times people were really not talking about what they know. They were talking about what they thought was the reality but not necessarily well founded or explored. So I found that in many instances, you know, it would be great if we all based our decisions based on on information that is corroborated. But many times when we talk about teams and when we talk about talent, when we're trying to manage the talent within an organization, we are starting to make uh, statements and make decisions based on what we think, but not on what we really know. And there's a big difference in if you start looking at the data points that we all can gather to get more certainty in terms of the decisions that we make. And that is the big difference between what I think and what I know. And I've I've started to practice that language when people ask me, what should we do? Uh, What is the reality that's happening there? Well, I, I started saying, well, this is what I think but this is what I know. So I was able to distinguish what what I was giving an opinion versus what I was stating an element that had been confirmed or corroborated. That's an important distinction when we're trying to make decisions that impact other people. So that's the duality number two. And I have plenty of examples of how that plays out in the corporate world in my book. The, The third duality is about pain and possibility. And it is what we were talking about before, UB. It is about what, what is the motivation that people have to do the things that they do? Some people get, for example, to work on diversity and inclusion because they want to mitigate the pain for the organization. Maybe they don't wanna hear that people are disengaged or disenfranchised. They don't wanna hear that people are, are feeling uh, conflict. And, and, and that is the motivation to work on diversity and inclusion. They wanna mitigate certain level of pain but there's other people, other leaders that are motivated more for the possibilities. They are motivated by saying, but you know what, aside from trying to uh, listen to employees because we just came out of the social pain of the George Floyd uh, killing, imagine if we could just create an environment uh, in which we're more inclusive all the time, in which we listen to people who come from different countries, who have different perspectives, introverts and extroverts, So that is a world of possibilities. That's the different motivation. And the way in which we can more successfully engage and create change in an organization starts with understanding, are the leaders coming from a pain mitigation point or a possibility creation standpoint? And I had not heard this language. I had not used this language before in, you know, I started just articulating what this really meant in the organization. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the third duality. And, and I give uh, many examples in the book on how you work on those. The fourth one is about risk and investment. And it came to me kind of as an aha moment, as I said, when I started hearing uh, people in talent review sessions and succession planning sessions. And uh, when they were trying to determine who to give a stretch assignment to uh, and just to people who were saying, leaders were saying, well, you know what? Uh, are, are we willing to take a risk with this person? And I was curious because many times when I heard the word risk utilized when uh, deciding if we were going to give an opportunity to somebody, it, 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 they were not talking about people who were like them. They were not talking about people with whom they had many similarities. They were talking about people who were different than them. Different, call it From a different department from a different company uh, from a different culture different than them it was perceived as a a risk sometimes that risk was perceived when people were talking about giving an opportunity of a leadership role in a technology organization to a woman because it is typically more uh, there's a greater presence of men in technology areas still to this day so I was wondering why we were just cat- categorizing it as a risk when it was about people who were different than the person who was speaking. So, uh, so one of the things that I found that it was very important and, 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 and shifted in people's minds is when we started talking about the investment in people. It's not about a risk. That almost starts with a deficit mentality that something is missing, therefore you're taking a risk. Versus where you start with the mentality of, a, of an investor. And I'm making an analogy about financial investments. Think as an investor in talent. If I'm investing in my talent portfolio, then I'm not that concerned with the risk. It comes with the territory. But I think more about what am I going to do to increment, to, to get a, a higher return on investment uh, on my talent. It's a different mentality than just thinking about that you're going to give somebody a chance or a, or a promotion because you're going to think about it as a risk.
1: Oh, that's it's huge. A different that's, mentality. That's a big one. I, I love that one specifically because also language matters. And to your point, yeah, I've heard leaders say, well, we decided to take the risk on, mm-hmm. you know, less qualified, underrepresented groups of people. And you're, I mean, that, it, that, that's a huge, wow. But, you know, it's very dehumanizing.
2: It is, and, and in many instances, what I think is, people are not necessarily taking a risk because people others are less qualified. Uh, I don't think right. business leaders will make such a bad decision, but the risk is not typically associated with qualifications. It's associated with I don't understand this person as much because I feel more comfortable with people that have a different a, a similar career path or a similar decisions than the one that I make. They feel more comfortable. It's about comfort level.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: and even you know, financial advisors talk about what is your level of comfort with risk, right? Right. So, so we're just borrowing language from from an area that we we know we can know quite well. Yeah. So and the last one is perform and innovate. That's duality number five, and it is about that uh, that conversation that happens when people say, "Well, but this thing about working with differences, you know, people have a different opinions. It's going to take me longer." To make decisions and I need to perform and I need to, you know, like uh, we need to reduce the cycle time or we need to just act faster. Everybody wants to work uh, work fast and in a nimble way. But that is not in, in, in conflict with innovation. Innovation does require time, but does require more like you have a balance between what you can produce very fast, which is performance, and what is the space that you can create to really innovate which might take a little bit more time to balance and understand and listen to those different perspectives, but it actually catapults you to what many companies want to do, which is not only perform, perform in a short cycle time, but it's also to create the differentiation that will make them leaders in their industry. And there is a fine balance on that when you're talking about people having different perspectives and how quickly can you get them to perform. So that's duality number five.
1: Oh, thank you. I um, and I, I we're kind of at time, so I think I'm gonna encourage people. We'll, we'll put a link in the description to get the book, because then you can learn about the Bolt Project and and Team Speeders, the, the concept behind that. Um, you know, but but the dualities to me is such a an important piece to organizing. You know, kind of your your approach, right, as as an individual as an organization around this, this work. I think it's just such an amazing um, thing to think about. So thank you for that, Monica.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, this is, it's really good for, uh, we're always encouraging our audience members to, uh, you know, we got to learn um, together on uh, what has worked um, out there. And we just so appreciate you sharing your experience um, uh, with us today and uh, just wish you uh, the best of luck with your new endeavor there in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, uh, and we look forward to doing the road trip uh, to Fort Lauderdale.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just let me know when you're coming down.
0: Perfect. Perfect.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you again. And thank you everybody for continuing to listen. Um, you know, as always, you can check out chooseinclusion.com for for uh, episodes and links to the different platforms that we are on currently like Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon music, now Stitcher and YouTube. So thank you again, everyone. Thank you, Monica. And we'll talk to everybody again soon. Take care.
2: Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks for
2: listening to the Choose
1: Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at
2: Choose Inclusion.